Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Podcouch, where we talk about all things mental health and parenting. This podcast has a new home. I'm recording today from Center Table Productions out of Ground Floor Media here in Denver, Colorado. And today I am so excited to talk to Ryan Harris, who played offensive tackle on the Super Bowl 50 Denver Broncos champion team and is taking his life lessons to offer insights, inspiration, and practical tools to help others overcome uncertainties to accomplish their goals. He has endured nine surgeries over a 10-year NFL career and shares how he did it in his book, Mindset for Mastery, an NFL Champion's Guide to Reaching Your Greatness. Hi, Ryan. What's up, Cheryl? How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. You're such a pro. You're like, uh, you're a broadcasting pro. Oh, who knew? I'm practicing. <laughs> I'm bra- It's my mindset. There you go. I visualize that coming out really smoothly. And it did. And it did. That's what happens every time. Every time. Let me tell you, I know that you have like all these amazing accomplishments, but what I am so jazzed about is truly your book. Thank you. Yeah. I am so psyched about it. I am like over the top prepared because there's so much that people can get out of this. Yeah. And so I hope that you are totally in the mindset of yeah. of like bragging on your book because you have <laughs> so much to share. Well, I learned from somebody how much a book can impact others. And in uh, your book, Mommy Burnout, just it, it really was a good talking point for my wife and I and, and three kids to kind of get her out of the house a little bit. And uh, especially in the beginning when you go through the checklist there and uh, and, you know, so uh, I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of your book as well, and, and we both know that there are power in words, and I'm, I'm happy to contribute to others. Oh, I know you are. It really it comes out, like your genuineness truly comes out, I think, in every way, from your book, also just knowing you. So let's just jump right in. Let's go. You have great personal stories in Mindset for Mastery. What made you want to write this book, share those stories, and what do you hope people will get from it? Yeah, you know, when you win the Super Bowl, everything you believe about yourself comes true for other people. Mm. All of a sudden, people know I know how to work hard. I know how to be a good teammate. I know how to Mm. sacrifice. And I want people to have that moment in their life, that moment where your belief about yourself becomes shared belief with others is so powerful and is such a – it's not. It's beyond an I told you so moment. You know, I think about Muhammad Ali when he said, eat your words. You know, just the season before – we won the Super Bowl. I was at the Kansas City Chiefs, and I started 15 games for them. And after the season, they told me, hey, Ryan, we don't think you have any football left. And so I'm so glad I didn't listen to them. And, and now that they've won a championship, it's a little different, but I used to always wear my ring around them like, hey, guys, good to see you. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to write a book to encourage people to have that moment in their lives. And the other thing, I mean, we talk about failure less than we talk about sex. Mm-hmm. And less than that, we don't talk about how we worked out of it. And here, failure is the most common thread in every success story. You and I could spend the rest of this podcast talking about our failures as we're successful sitting here today. So I really wanted to give another example of of a great story of a championship life and career that also includes failure and how I worked through it, how I went through it, how I chose my mindset. Because whoever you are, you're going to encounter that failure, but you can create your beyond by choosing your mindset. I did it. This is how I did it. This is when I failed. This is what it sounded like sometimes. And hopefully for the people I can't reach or meet, they're able to read this and and continue on to achieve their dreams, whatever that may be. When did you know, oh, there's such a thing as a mindset and, oh, I can control mine? Like when, when and how? I would say... I mean, there are two kind of early ways in, until I made it a practice. You know, um, my first football practice, um, I, I didn't, I didn't know how to play football. I was fourteen when I started. To all those parents starting their kids at six, seven, eight, right? We're going to talk about uh, yeah. that. Yeah, and they were laughing at me because I didn't know how to hit. And they came to the next day, and like I was so terrified to go to this practice. I was like, you know what? Forget it, man. Like, I belong on this field. I can learn how to play. I will just go to practice and see what happens. Well, it turns out a kid got an interception. And I ran towards him, closed my eyes, and boom, turns out I knew how to hit, you know. And and then especially in college, my freshman year, you go to college before – when you're in football, you go to campus a little bit earlier than everybody else, about two, three weeks. And we're practicing, and this one senior is just kicking my tail. I mean, literally one time I get knocked out of my cleat. And in football, you don't – when you get hit, sometimes you don't make the best sound, you know. So, ah, you know, I make this sound, and my teammates are like, ooh, and then I got to put on my cleat. I mean, you're just totally – sprawled out and that night 
I went back to my room and I was reading the book, The Book of Five Rings, a book I highly recommend to everybody else uh, who's in performance. And, and I just focused on one specific drill. I knew I was going to go against this guy in the next day. And I closed my eyes and I visualized just firing off the ball, hitting him under his pads and driving him back. And sure enough, the next day came and wham, I hit him. And I could even see there are these moments in football when you take somebody by surprise and you can lock eyes to eyes with them because you're six inches away from their face. Mm -hmm. They can't hide their surprise, their fear, their pain. And in that moment, I experienced that, giving that to someone else. And I was like, wow, it really is up to me. It is going to take this much focus to be successful. And here I go. And so that was the beginning of it. And then when I got into the NFL, I had to choose my mindset over and over again, whether it was getting drafted in the third round, coming back from injuries, being released slash fired. You know, that's what they call it in the NFL. Let me ask you a question. You just said drafted in the third round. Was that considered for you a success or a failure? Oh, big time failure. That was a big time. Yeah, I was supposed to be uh, going into my senior year. I was supposed to be the second tackle taken. And I had a bad what they call senior bowl. It's a kind of a bowl game after the year. And um and I, and truth be told, I probably needed another back surgery. And so my first year in the NFL, I got I had a back surgery six weeks into into camp. But I was supposed to go in the first round. I was supposed oh. to be a top tackle. And so for me, I had to say, it doesn't matter what I do. I got an opportunity in Denver, and I'm getting on this plane. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Isn't that funny how perspective, like for somebody else, their dream was the third round. Yeah. Right? And for you, that was a failure. Yeah. It's all Relative. You know, and there are things in the NFL, like a third rounder is going to get more opportunities than a sixth rounder. But at the end of the day, you're going to have an opportunity to perform, to show your preparedness and, and willingness. And I got a couple of opportunities to do so. And from there, I just ran with it. But, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know, right? I mean, you, you leave college and that's such an experience for an, for, for an athlete of any sport. You know, you leave college and you're like, my whole life has been playing football at Notre Dame. My whole life has been swimming for Michigan or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you don't know anything except for this small period. Well, I don't know what team I'm going to, so i got to make sure I get drafted as high as I can. you know. And that's all that matters until you get drafted. And you're like, okay, the draft doesn't matter now. i got to go play. Mm-hmm. And so there's all these moments as a rookie where you're just literally falling off one ledge of another. right? There's no road in between. There's just these deep, deep caverns, and you can't get stuck in the bottom. I'm sure that people – this happens all the time – they just think – oh, this all just came to you. Well, lucky you. It must be nice. Or you're so big. It must be nice to just be so big. But I love how you almost start the book off by saying, I was a chubby kid. Yeah. Right? It's not like you were this goddess from the time you turned 14 or something. Right? right? So you do such a good job of highlighting those things. But one of the things I'm skipping a little bit, but it feels relevant to talk about now is you do have a story about the first time that you were at the Broncos, what, I think that was the team, where they were telling you to do a play a certain way or they wanted you to do something different, and you were like, I was so stubborn. Yeah. Was, that the, was that what the Broncos did yeah, the time? Yeah, so I got drafted in the Broncos in 2007, and we got a new coach in 2011. And I had already been successful at this point. I'd started. I had a nice house in a cul-de-sac, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, unmarried, no kids, you know, but mm-hmm. I, was, I was hanging out, and I really felt like I knew the NFL. And uh, so sure enough, coaches came in like, hey, Ryan, we want you to try and do this. And my coach also wasn't a good coach, which that's a whole other experience, right? Like, how do you work under people who are not good managers, good coaches? Um, but he said, hey, I want you to do this and do that. And I'm like, man, that doesn't work for me. I ain't going to do that. So, I, But I didn't say that to him, but I did his way in practice. And then we get into a game or a practice situation that was game-like, and I go back to my old technique. And here I wasn't doing anything that he wanted me to do, but I was doing things that made me successful. So you were doing that consciously, though. Consciously. Yeah. And because of my unwillingness and arrogance, they released me. And I'd never been more embarrassed in my life. I mean, tears flowing down my face. How do I tell my wife in our first year of marriage that I lost my job because I was arrogant? I had friends coming 10 days later to see the Broncos versus the Houston Texans. Like, how do I tell them I don't have tickets? How do I go to King Supers, a grocery store here in Denver, you know? And so all of these thoughts were racing as I'm just so embarrassed, tears coming down my eyes as I drove away. And I thought, you know what? This can be the best thing for my career. I can make sure I never lose my job again because of my arrogance and unwillingness. I can ask questions. I can work hard. I can eliminate distractions. And so the very next morning, I got a call by a man named Gary Kubiak, and he was in Houston. He said, hey, Ryan, think you can help us win? Why don't you come on down to Houston? I can do that, coach. 
went down to Houston. I did as much as I could. I was away from so many distractions originally in Denver. And I asked extra questions. I did extra work. And because of my effort and willingness those two years in Houston, I got a call again a, a season, the next season after, and it was Gary Kubiak again. But this time he was with the Denver Broncos. And he said, hey, Ryan, I need you. I need you to come help us win a championship. I need you to show these young cats how to work. I can do that, coach. I came in, and here we are at the same – and I'm, I still remember driving into the gate of the Broncos, and I remembered the code from earlier to get into the gate. And I was like, I wonder if this code's going to beep, 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 and the door starts opening up. And it was just like – it was just the gate opening was a reward that I had never seen for choosing my mindset and saying that's not going to be the end of my story. I can find other things to do. I can find ways to get better. And that really began my practice – of I am, I can, I will. You know, just moving through these moments. I am good enough. I am here so I belong. I can make sure X, Y, Z. I can do this. I mean, that's where we get stopped all the time. Something bad happens. Whose fault is it? Where, where's the problem? Uh-uh. What can we do now? I mean, there are failures in every play in a touchdown drive in the NFL, but you never see quarterbacks just running off the field like, I threw an interception, that's it. You know, it's over. Mm-hmm. You've got to overcome. And I was so fortunate to learn in the NFL with Hall of Fame players, on championship teams, that just makes the entire difference. It's how you move in that obstacle. And that's the only difference in success and failure. What do you do in that obstacle afterwards? And speaking I am, I can, I will puts, puts identity, willingness, and action into your, into your everyday life. So I am, I can, I will is chapter one. And I started using it with my kids right away, right? Yeah. So right now it's new and they kind of like laugh at me when yeah. I'm saying this, but I'm like, oh no, they don't know. This is going to be our mantra. Game changer. So explain in your words, in your terms, what is I am, I can, I will. How often do you practice that? When should, let's say a parent practice that with their kids, yeah. within themselves? Every failure. So whether that's you know waking up a little late, oh, I am late. I can try and streamline my process. I will not freak out about being late. I will contact XYZ to tell them, hey, I'm 10 minutes behind. I will let this go. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just waking up late for something. Uh, last night, I had a speech this morning, and I said, hey, I am going to give a great speech. I can, I can pack early. It's an early speech. I had to be kind of a ways away, uh, 7.45 a.m. So I can put all my clothes the night before. I can make sure I've got everything so I can in the morning just shower, wake up, and go. And I will kill that speech. I will give a great speech that makes great impact, that changes perspective of people on how they look at money. And then I will go to my radio show. I mean, I use it every day. And, and, and when my daughter fell, when we were, she was learning how to ride her bike, you know, I said to her, hey, are you okay? She said, I am. I said, great. Now, what can you do? She said, I can get back up and I can try again. Great. Will you? I will, she says. And she learned how to ride her bike. It's just we we are so ill-prepared for those moments when we're alone or when we're embarrassed, when we failed, that we don't know what to do. And by speaking I am, I can, I will, it starts getting you in motion and moving and you've got confidence and you've got direction. And you can tell those people when you're around them, somebody who's who's got direction, who knows what they're doing, who knows why they're there. And it's all a choice of mindset. It's not because they didn't fail. It's not because they're not never getting embarrassed. It's because when they do, they have a process that keeps them going. So – as you're talking, I'm thinking about a lot of things from parenting. That's a great example. Also, at my kid's school, they approached me and they said, we want to start doing like the mental training component yeah. with the young athletes. So I'm talking elementary school through middle. Oh, yeah. I haven't given them anything yet. But if you were coaching, let's say, and, and thinking for young kids and thinking about the mental training aspect, what would you focus? Would you do this? I am, I can, I will. What would you do with them? Yeah, I, I'd give that to them as a tool, but I'd also explain two things. One, you're going to fail. I don't care how good you are. I don't care where you want to go. I don't care how long you're going to play whatever sport. You are going to fail. It's okay. When, when did somebody ever tell you that? Never. You know, and so Literally we, never. We, we're around failure all the time, but nobody speaks about it. Come on, mm-hmm. give our kids a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody asked me the other day, they're like, what do you want your kids to learn in sports? I'm like, I hope they fail. I hope they fail. I hope they're not the best player on their team. I hope they don't win everything the first time they go. Because you know what? The longer that they don't fail, the bigger the failure is going to be and the less prepared they're going to be. Mm-hmm. So one, I would tell kids, hey, one, you're going to fail. And then number two, this is huge now. You have to be able to recognize internal versus external validation. 
you have got to know, hey, this is what I want to do for me. I never wanted to play football for the most likes on Instagram. I don't care what you like or don't like about me. If you see me on the field, you're going to feel my focus. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter to me who laughs at me. It doesn't matter to me who's got an opinion of me, especially if they're not going to get on the field with me. When did you get that, though, that confidence that I don't care what you think? Well, you know, I had to do it early and from an early age because even in college, right, I didn't care to drink much. You know, I didn't care to party much. I was there to get a degree and go to the NFL. And if that NFL didn't work out, I was going to get a career. You know, I wanted to be able to party. When, and I'm going to tell you something. I've been to college parties, and I've been to the party after the Super Bowl. It's still going. You know what I'm saying? There are different levels. But when you're in high school, when you're in elementary school, we forget to, to our kids, that's their world, mm -hmm. that junior high. That junior high tennis championship, that's everything. Mm -hmm. Except it's not. Except it's the beginning. You know, and to just give kids that confidence and say, hey, are you playing tennis for you? Or are you playing tennis because you want someone to be proud of you? Because you can spend your whole life and be the best tennis player in the world, and that person you want, their acceptance, they may never give it to you. So you better make sure why you're doing this. And, and internally, you have to know it's for you. When we, went to, when we won the championship, the Super Bowl year, we had captains every, every weekend, every different weekend you have different captains. And I told, you know, somebody, I said, I told my, our mental performance coach, because we had one on the Broncos, I said, yo, this is, this is crap, man. Here I am starting all these games. I'm a vet, and they haven't even made me a captain. He goes, Ryan, why do you want to be a captain? Is that going to change the way you play on the field? No. Is that going to change the way you are when you go home? No. So you want an external validation. You want to be a captain, so what? So people can see that you're important to this team? Does that matter? Well, no. Good. Now, why are you going out to play to be a champion? Great. Why don't you just stick with that? And those are the conversations mm -hmm. that really form integrity, character, willingness, skills. And that's what gets you in and out of your success. I love that. I love that. So you break down having a winning mindset into these nine areas, yeah. right? One of the things that you start off with, I am, I can, I will. And then you move on. Is the second one time management? Yeah. So... I think that's so important, especially as I'm thinking about parents and I'm thinking about how oftentimes people feel like a victim to time. 100%. Right? There's just not enough time in the day. There's not enough hours in the day. How do you deal with that on and off the field? Well, you got to be clear. One of the things I ask people all the time, how do you want to spend your time? You know? And when I was in the NFL, it was very different than it is now in retirement. So I asked myself, how do I want to spend my time? Well, I don't want to spend my time with people I don't care about. I don't want to spend time with people who don't understand what it's like to work towards a goal. Mm -hmm. I don't want to spend time around. So I'm, I'm cutting all these people in all these places. So I want to spend time in my craft and with my family. And one of the things is when you, when you identify that about yourself, if anybody's got an opinion, that's exactly what that is. That's their opinion. That ain't stopping my day. And now in retirement, you know, we both are doing a lot of things. We're authors. We're speakers. Uh, I have broadcasting responsibilities. But my kids get my best when I'm with them. My kids get my best time of the day. That's, that's my job as a father. So managing that time is fantastic. And, and one way I did it in the NFL, I used to always have people come out and, hey, Friday nights they want to come in. You know, hey, Cheryl, I'm, I'm here on Friday night in Denver. What are we doing? Mm -hmm. Well, Friday night in the NFL is my Wednesday. You know, so I always, for my first six years, I was always like helping people get to dinners. I'm like, dude, I don't need to be doing this crap. Mm -hmm. So I came back and, and to Denver here. People are like, hey, when are we coming in Friday? I say, listen, you come in on Saturday. You want to stay and hang out since that's so important to you. Stay till Tuesday. We'll hang out Monday night. We'll hang out Sunday night and Monday night. Let's hang out. I had two people the next four years of my career stay till Wednesday because you know, and you know what they said? I got to work. Yeah. No crap. Yeah. No crap you got to work. So don't come in on my Wednesday talking about where we're going to dinner and then you're not going to stay for my Saturday. Right. So it started to paint a great picture. No one else is going to care about your time more than you. And no one knows how you want to spend your time. So you must take a second and say, how do I want to spend my time? Look at your calendar. Where am I spending my time? If I don't like this kind of client, if I don't like being away from my kids, I'm not going to do this. And if you care, I don't care about you because mm -hmm. you're not a part of my life then. If you don't care about my goals and how I want to spend my time, that's it. And, and you've seen, we've hung out, and hey, sometimes we'll leave. I, I'm a guy, when it's over, it's over. Let's go. Mm -hmm. We're not doing two and a half hour dinners just to do it. If right. that's what we're doing that night, great. 
But if we've got things to do the next day, hey, listen, man, ordering dinner, 20 minutes, eating dinner, 40 minutes, like maybe a little conversation. I'm a big dessert guy. Hour and a half. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And you know what? People appreciate that. People appreciate when you value your time because you're also valuing theirs. I, I agree. I think for people who feel like victims to time management, just practicing it, other people, whether they say it to you or not, respect and admire it. Every time. They're like, wow, my life is totally out of control. But Ryan, he seems to have this down. Yeah. You don't mess with that. And then it inspires people. They might not ever say it, but I know that's true. And I have had that feeling around other people. Yeah. Even the way they word it sometimes. So, you know, people have different ways of wording you know, the way they say no, that's right. been that I started that maybe the end of last year and still working on how to say no, but feel good about it and yeah. do it respectfully. And that's hard for somebody, especially like me. I'm a helper. I sometimes can be a pleaser. Yeah. And so it's been awesome to practice, you know, hey, thanks for asking me that. Yeah. Here's how I'm spending my time these days. And if anything comes open or available, I'll be sure to let you know. But thanks for thinking of me, yeah. you know, and I'm really trying to practice that authentically. And it feels really good. Oh, and, and it gives you it gives you time to do what you want. Yeah. I don't get calls past six o'clock because anybody who calls me, that's my family time. Yep. Somebody better have died outside <laughs> of my immediate family for you for me to pick up the phone. So you can call and leave a message, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna get back to you when I do. Because yep. my time right now is between being a great husband and father and being a great broadcaster and speaker. Yep. If it's in between those two, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And having that time and space to say, hey, and you know, now people will text you, hey, I called you an hour ago, or hey, I, I called you yesterday. I'll text them back. Yes, I was with my family, and now I'm working. I'll call you later. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Like, don't don't let other people make you feel bad about your time. That's not that's not how this works. Mm-hmm. You've got a responsibility to yourself to be the master of your time, to know where you want to spend it, to say, I've got a hard stop. At 2.30, I need to leave. Mm-hmm. So now what was it we need to talk about? I know one executive, I spoke at a company, he, he holds standing meetings. He said, I do standing meetings because nobody talks too long if they're standing up. You know what I'm saying? That's smart. So put these limits on to give yourself the time that you really want to do. Yep, I agree. I, and I love that, that, that that's how you let it be known without being preachy that my family's my priority starting at 6 p.m. Period. That's off. This is on. I'm the, I try to be the same way too. I try not to do the phone. I'm trying not to multitask. Yeah. And to be honest, at the end of the night when I've, when I've been successful, I can lay my head down on my pillow and, and feel good about myself as a parent. Yeah. That I wasn't trying to do too much. And my kids were trying and trying to get my attention. Yeah. And I see that a ton. Yeah. You know, today's parent is distracted. Yeah. They're super distracted. That's why I loved that you wrote about time management. And listen, we're going to fail at that sometimes too. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was a few months ago. My daughter said, dad, I've asked you the same question three times. You haven't heard me. Mm. Well, I was responding to somebody in regarding broadcasting, but I didn't explain that to my daughter. So now, so I failed there in the moment. So, okay, I am doing work. I can explain this to my daughter. I will explain it to her. I will finish this and I will put the phone away, mm-hmm. you know, and right now I've got an action plan for when I fail. Hey, sweetheart, thank you for saying that to me. Thank you for speaking up. Daddy's working on some work right now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish it up, and then we're going to have our time together. Is that okay? Great, Dad. Great. Yeah. So, I mean, just those kinds of – you're going to fail at that, but working to create that time. Our kids are always watching us. Our kids want to know how to manage our time. Mm-hmm. Our kids want to know how are we supposed to feel when we come back home. Are we supposed to be happy when we come in the door, or are we going to be destroyed from the day that happened to us and the job that we chose and the career that we chose? You know, our kids are looking to us. we got to be really conscious about how we spend our time with them and how our time away from them affects them. Yeah, I appreciate that in the book. You write a lot about what you've learned on the field, but you write about parenting pieces like that. You you wrote, I don't know what I'm doing at parenting, yeah. you know. I'm a new parent. I'm a new parent, I'm but terrified. I will figure this out. <laughs> yes. Right? And so I do love that. And I think that our kids need to see that modeled that when I, anytime I fail, I go out of my way to tell them. Yeah. I'll say, oh man, I really messed this up. Oh, I forgot this. Oh, I think I could have done it better. I go, even if nobody acknowledges me, I know they're hearing me. Yes. And they're seeing somebody who probably in many ways they have up on this pedestal be very humble and honest and real about like, I don't get this right. Every day I have a disappointment 
somebody's hurt me. Maybe I've hurt somebody. So every day something happens. Yeah. So I love that. And they know from you that you're not going to let that affect them. Mm-hmm. They know from you context, something we rarely give to our kids. And they, get, and they learn from you in just that, that you're going to fail. Yep. It's a part of your day. Yep. Absolutely. Without saying it. Yeah. I mean, there's moments, right, where I say, hey, everybody fails. And, you know, you say those things. But I think it's much more powerful to just live it. Absolutely. And, and talk about it very commonly, like, you know, pass, pass the salt. Yeah. Guess what happened today? Yeah. That kind of thing. You devoted a whole chapter to visualization. Yeah. And you tell the story. I told, I've told my whole family the story about the night before the Super Bowl. Yeah. And you also tell this other story about your computer screen in college. Yeah. I love those. I first want you to tell those stories. <laughs> um, and I'm wondering, do you do vision boards? And what does visualizing things do for you, mean yeah. for you, and how do you implement that with your even little kids? Yeah, well, I, you know, I'd love to do vision boards. I still don't know what that means. You know what I mean? People oh. haven't said it to me, so I got to take a YouTube class on it or something, right? <laughs> um, and, and there's actual science. When you visualize something, your brain thinks it's real. So when you encounter that situation in the future, you're not surprised, you've got lower blood pressure, your, your performance increases, your reaction time increases. There's science behind the power of visualization. That's why Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, uh, Phil Jackson, Oprah, I mean, all of the greatest athletes you know visualize. Michaela Schifrin is one of the mentally toughest athletes I've ever heard, and I hope to meet her one day. And she visualizes these runs and, and uh, cool runnings. You know, they visualize the turns. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And Ricky Bobby, Talladega Knights, they visualize <laughs> the turns. It's so important to put yourself there mentally before you get there. And the night before the Super Bowl, as you mentioned, I said to myself, you know, I'm terrified that my greatest accomplishment is going to be my greatest failure. I am also excited. I am also ready. I can go out there tomorrow and put my pads on, and I will – be a champion tomorrow. I will raise the trophy. And so I closed my eyes and I, and I imagined raising the trophy, the Lombardi trophy, which is a big metal football on a stand for those who don't really know football. But when I visualized it, I could only see it from the bottom up. And I'm like, that's weird. I've never seen the trophy from the bottom up of the times I've seen it. Fast forward to 24 hours later, we win the Super Bowl and here's Peyton Manning handing me down the Lombardi trophy. And the first time I touch it is from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. And instead of crying like a baby, I'm saying to myself, I've been here. I knew it. I'm living it. And that's why you can see athletes give great interviews after a big game because they saw that bucket going in before they even got to the court. Every playoff game, the Pittsburgh Steelers under Mike Tomlin do what they call big game visualization. They sit in a room together, turn off the lights, and everybody's to visualize themselves making the play. The year we won the Super Bowl, Coach Kubiak would tell us, when you're in your bed tonight, I want you to visualize making that play. I want you to visualize the beginning of this game. And I want you to visualize how you're going to help us succeed tomorrow. It's so big. It's just a way to put yourself physically and mentally in a space that you're ready to go to. How do you explain it when you have visualized something and maybe it doesn't – like let's say the opposing team. Maybe lots of those guys visualized themselves being Super Bowl champions yeah. and they didn't go home with the Lombardi trophy. So how do you rectify that within your mind when you're like, man, I visualized this. It didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's never happened for me. Really? You know, because I, when you visualize something, as you did the intro – it often happens. Mm-hmm. And if there's an aberration, it kind of doesn't, you know, it doesn't register. I also have a process if it doesn't. Okay, I've had visualizations that haven't worked maybe. I, but honestly, every time I visualize something, it's happened. Because when I put myself there, when I'm there, I know what to do. And I can tell you, if any of those Carolina Panthers visualized, not enough of them did. And I could tell on the field by the way they moved, by the way they reacted. Everything was new for them. Mm. But here I'd seen the plays we were going to run. I'd seen myself making this block. I'd seen myself striking my opponent in the chest to alter his path to protect the quarterback. And the way they were playing, they were experiencing everything for the first time. And in that level of elite performance, a hair sliver of hesitation, a hair sliver of realization is the difference between winning and losing. Mm -hmm. And many of us had visualized. And playing them, I'm like, oh, these guys are here for the first time. I'm not. So do you look at it as not necessarily our quarterback is better than theirs, our offensive line is better than theirs? Do you look at it more like we're more mentally prepared yeah. 
than they are. Is well, that? Yeah. I mean, mentally prepared, uh, absolutely. We're ha- we had more mental resolve the year we won the Super Bowl. But here's the other thing, too, and this is the benefit of visualization. It's, it's more about who's there, what's being said. And here's as important of a question. Who's not there? When you succeed, who's not there? And for, if you have kids, what does that success for them look like? Are you cheering wildly, obnoxiously at their game as they score a winning goal? Or does their success mean they've got confidence from themselves and skills and experience going towards a goal, failing and going towards it again? Have they experienced being a good teammate? Like, what is it? Oftentimes people ask me, like, what should I do with my kids? I said, well, what's, what is it? What does their success look like? Mm-hmm. And the faces you all get are unbelievable. One person said, what do you mean? What does it look like? No, no, no. What does it look like when they succeed? What is it for? Who's not around? What doesn't matter? And that's how you start to build your visualization. And in that way, it happens, right? Okay, I'm visualizing my success. You know what? Really, my, this person who's bothering me today, they're not going to be there. This person in my class that's trying to steal my book or X, Y, Z, you're not going to be in my success story. So here I am. I'm going to visualize it. And every time you're not there, that visualization's coming true. You know, so visualization has such a power and, and it's such a motivator. And you talk about, you know, when I was in college, I put 22 year old millionaire on my screensaver. Shout out to screensavers. Everybody remembers those. <laughs> right. Right. And because I wanted to be I wanted to be a 22 year old millionaire, no matter how it happened, whether it was the NFL or going to a job and a career. That was my mentality. And if it didn't happen, I didn't care. But that's what I wanted. And one of the things that I realize outside of sports, we rarely talk about what we want. We rarely visualize what we want. And that affects us in relationships and job opportunities and careers. I want to be a champion. I want to be a 22-year-old millionaire. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And you're willing to put it out there. Heck yeah. Because you might, a lot of people might secretly kind of be like, well, wouldn't. But there, it's a little bit more, wouldn't it be nice? Yeah. With maybe no plan. Yeah, no No, plan. No sense of how will that happen. Like you had a sense of it's going to happen this way or this way, but it's going to happen. Yeah, and and when I saw my goal, am I working towards that right now? Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm up at 2 in the morning and my screensaver says 22-year-old millionaire, am I doing what it takes to do that? Or am I lying to myself? Or am I not falling in line with my goals? I mean, these are questions that I could ask myself at different times throughout my college career that helped me continue to do what was necessary and read the books, read about other millionaires. Read What do millionaires do with money? What do millionaires speak like? How do they make money? You know, mm-hmm. It took me down this entire path of exploration and learning that I wouldn't have gone on had I not put out my goal. So do you see visualization as different from meditation? Your meditation can definitely have an, an idea of visualization, but visualization to me is different because it involves a specific action. I'm going to visualize my golf swing. I'm going to visualize my kids running outside during a vacation to make this vacation happen. Mm -hmm. You know, meditation for me, and that meditation saved my career, my sixth year in the NFL. Meditation for me is a way to engage my thoughts without engaging my body, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're talking right now. If I say, hey, it's tax season, like automatically you're like, okay, did I talk to my accountant? Did I send that W-4? Did I send that W-4? But when you're meditating, okay, taxes are on my mind. Okay, I'm still meditating. I'm not going to do anything about it right now. Where can I create time in my day for that? Okay, that's there. But that's really not important right now because it's just February. I still got two months. I mean, now you're meditating and you're able to, you know, like I say, see your feelings and emotions underwater. You can't really touch them and take action until you're done. So for me, meditation is far more just clearing space, creating the sound. You know, our, our friend Andy Seth says, creating the pauses in between the beats. Mm-hmm. And visualization is saying, no, this is what I want, and this is what it looks like, mm-hmm. and this is what I'm going to do to get it. So one's like more active and one is more passive. Yeah. Like I acknowledge that, and then I can let it go. Yeah. Meditation. You talk about, you make this correlation about everybody needing a break. Yeah. And um, you, like your, one of your examples was like a, a break in the NFL is a bye week. I might say in my world of psychology, oh, you know, you really need to learn how to do some self-care. Yeah. I think they're different words for the same type of thing. But that term is overused, like self-care. And I think people can have like this adverse reaction to it. You know, it's like, oh, self-care. And the yeah. self-care is like a billion-dollar industry kind of thing. So talk about, though, how you do self-care yeah. um, now that you are a dad, now that you are retired from the NFL, but still doing all these other kinds of things. Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, well, recently it looked like a four-day surfing trip to Mexico because I love surfing. And I didn't take my wife and kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, a buddy of mine met me up there because I just wanted to surf every day. 
I love to surf. How did you get into surfing? Oh, man. You know, uh, started in Hawaii, and then it just felt like, you know, the hand of God pushed me to have fun. It's On the a most, vacation? Oh, man, yeah. Okay, because you're not from Hawaii. You're like from no, Minnesota. No, Minnesota. Yeah, 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 yeah. The better Wisconsin, Minnesota, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's what I did. So I, I was I was incredible. I had redlined twice in the season from broadcasting, leaving every weekend, coming home. We just had a newborn. He's now 10 months, but at the time, four or five months, and I'm traveling, not sleeping. I needed a break. I needed a break to be with me and to listen to me and to do what I love to do. That makes me a better father. That makes me a better husband. Too often I hear self-care and people look at it like, well, I'm just going to get a manicure. That's my self-care. No, no, no. That's 35 minutes. I'm going to get a pedicure. That's 35 minutes. I'm going to, I'm going to go to a yoga class. Great. That's, and that may be a part of self-care, but you need a break. And it was a shock to me coming out of the NFL because they take bye weeks Bye weeks happen in the most important times of the year. I noticed in the that. NFL. Yeah. It doesn't matter how busy you are, you got a bye week. The year we won the Super Bowl, we had a bye week before the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And our coach said to us, get away from the game because when you get back, we're going all in. And so when I came out of, of the NFL, I'm like, hey, when do we take a break here? People, well, I'm too busy to take a break. Well, that's exactly why you need to take a break. Mm-hmm. Just create that space. And I'll tell you, when I went on that surf trip, I wanted to, I wanted to cancel it every day. I wanted to. I, I told myself I didn't love surfing anymore. That this was just a pipe dream that I used to have when I was younger and I didn't have kids. But I love surfing, and the moment I got on that board, I was living my best life and I was becoming a better father, becoming a better husband. And my wife then has taken time since then for herself to do what she wants, and I want that for her because that makes her a better wife, a better a better mother, and that makes her happier. We lose. It's so easy to lose our happiness in our kids. It's so easy to give our kids everything, but we can't do that. We also got to teach our kids how to find yourself when t- in times of chaos. And, I, and self-care is a huge way to do it, but you got to take chunks and you got to let the people know around you what you need. Yeah, I love that. So in the NFL, what do people do on a bye week? Everything. <laughs> Everything between going back to your grandma's house and staying and getting home-cooked food mm-hmm. and coming back fat to <laughs> going to Vegas for six days straight. I mean, we had the gamut wow. in the NFL. You know, um, things that I would do, I would I would go home to Minnesota. I'd go to Notre Dame to catch a game. I'd go to the beach. I went to Miami one year just to get away. And um, and you so in the NFL, you get now it's kind of Wednesday to Sunday. But you get like five days in the middle of the season, and you've got to recover. and You've got to reload. It's not about relaxing as much as reloading, right? We had a Navy SEAL speak to us, and he's like, hey, if I just shoot my gun all the time, I'm going to run out of bullets, and then I'm dead. It's no different when I'm with your life. You've got to reload. How do you reload? And it really made me think, I like getting my feet up. I like getting in the ocean. I'm going to go do that. So there's a myriad. I mean, everything you can think of in the NFL <laughs> On, a, on, on time off happens, you know, so um, but bye weeks are so important and coaches encourage it. And that's what's u- weird to me, too. In, in, outside of football, wh- I have no boss who, who's like, hey, take some days off. Hey, are you doing OK? You need some days off. And oh, by the way, how many of us would love to work for a boss like that? Right. And, you know, too, we have kids. How much do kids love breaking the routine? Oh, they love it. They I mean, you could it. go. I mean, we went to we went to Miami after my first year of broadcasting, and we stayed at this hotel, the Diplomat Hotel. I recommend for kids and families. My son goes, "Can we swim after breakfast?" Yes. We get done with lunch. Can we swim again? Yes. We get done with dinner. Can we swim? Yeah. But you want to get some ice cream first? Can we? Yeah. I mean, kids love to break the routine. Yeah. And here we are as adults, and sometimes we live by routine, but you got to break it, and you got to break it for yourself. I totally agree. And I think that for anybody listening, thinking, oh, well, I, I can't just go on a surfing trip or I can't, you know, take my kids to the yeah. Diplomat Hotel. You don't need to do fancy things no. in order to have a break, a recharge, a reset, whatever you want to call it. Like for me, I go once a year to the Broadmoor. Love it's it. an hour from Denver. Yeah. I feel like I'm in another world. It's my happy place. Yeah. I have like two happy places in Colorado. I love like being up in Vail. And I love being at the Broadmoor yeah. for and, different reasons. And my wife and I, were huge on the staycation. Mm-hmm. We will literally go to a hotel that is less than one mile away. There's a Westin less than one mile away from our house. But as parents, from 4 o'clock at check-in <laughs> till 11 o'clock when we're back in the house the next morning, mm-hmm. we've ordered room service twice. You know, the, and, and the hotel is like 114 bucks. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. 
And it's just not to hear. And most of the time when we go on dates, because we try and date once a week. But at, when we go on dates, we don't even talk for the first 20 minutes. We what just like mean? silence. Yes. Just don't speak. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're and saying. And it's a break in the routine, right? <laughs> and so there's just so many ways we can do it. And, and you know, I got a family member. He's like, well, said the same thing that you were saying. Well, I can't take a vacation. And, you know, we don't have enough money. I'm like, okay. And then he goes on about how he's getting into all these craft beers. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, so I said to him, hey, man, is craft beer more expensive than Coors Light? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's a total, it's an artisan oh, yeah. beer. And I was like, oh, well, maybe you could just buy some Coors Light and go on a vacation. And his look was like, I didn't even think about that, you know? So we always tell ourselves why we shouldn't take a break, why we haven't deserved one, why we haven't earned one, why it doesn't fit. And yet we've never regretted breaking the routine. We've never regretted going on vacation. You've never regretted taking time for yourself. And that's as much about being a parent as anything else, as you wrote about. Yeah. So I'm curious about this because you're talking about taking these breaks and doing all these things. And then the idea of this, the, you know, Hey, just don't buy craft beer. And, and you've become a speaker about finances, yeah. right? That's kind of like your niche. That's yeah, what you yeah. do. So how did that get into your world? And what is your message around money and financial literacy? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I speak on leadership mindset, teamwork. I get a lot of people bringing me in to speak about teamwork, but financial literacy, you know, has been huge for me, made my career, made, allowed me to stay in the right situations. And we all interact with money. Our kids interact with our money. And we don't talk about money either. Mm-hmm. Wealthy people don't talk about it because they keep it in-house and they don't want anybody to know how much money they got. Mm-hmm. Rich people talk about it, quote-unquote rich, to show you how rich they are. Oh, you, that's you how know? you differentiate wealthy oh, and rich? Oh, yeah. And, 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 and people who don't have a lot of money – they don't, they don't know what to talk about with it. So one of the things, I mean, I'm a retired black 33-year-old millionaire. There ain't a lot of those walking around. So right away, if we're going to talk about money, you know that it's a little bit different. You know, I'm not t- going to talk about cap rates and dividends, which we can get there by all means. But let's talk about some of the mistakes I saw. Let's talk about how at one point I was, my first two years in the NFL, after making $1.2 million, I was $30,000 in debt both years. How did that happen? Why did that happen? Mm-hmm. You know, why do we spend more money than we make, you know, and talking about these experiences. I mean, I just spoke at a school and kids had 30 minutes of questions after my 45 minute speech about one kid asked me, like, how do I make sure I work hard? How do I, what do I do with money? What, what do I make sure that, OK, I like these stocks. How do I buy it? I mean, these are all situations that we all encounter and then take it in back to the kids. I mean, my kids, hey. I want to go buy something, my son said to me one morning. It's because he had seen my wife and I be so happy we bought a new refrigerator. But we'd saved six months for that refrigerator. Right. But he sees us buy it in the emotion. He's like, well, I want to buy something too. And every time I talked to him, I said, you got any money? And he's like, you know, my son or daughter, why do you always say that? Well, don't ask, don't tell me you want to buy something if you ain't got the money. That's the lesson you need to learn right now. You want something, you got to make that money. So delay your purchases three months to three years. Learn how to save. Save 60 to $80 out of every 100 you make. Say the words, I can't afford it. It's not in my budget. Because the people you're saying it to, chances are they can't afford it either. Right. It's a relief. Don't Yeah. So don't feel bad mm-hmm. about being in budget, about, about having a goal financially. And, you know, and I talk about some of the mistakes. I had a teammate who was a rookie making 585 He felt good. We, you and I both know 585 really after taxes, about 420 and, okay, you want to eat, drink, live, you know, that's probably another 60. So now you're down to three, what is that, 340 about that, you know what I'm saying, three, 360. Uh, if you want a vehicle, okay, now you're down about 300. And this is just in one year. And the life expectancy of an NFL player is three years. So wow. one of the things I told them is do not go buy a new car, do not go buy a new car, do not go buy a new car. Bought a brand-new Porsche Panamera. Of course, right. Three months later, he's cut. He's got no house, nowhere to park that Porsche, on his way back to Philadelphia without winter tires. Like, these are preventable mistakes that we make, but how many of us make them? And how did you learn these things? Through a lot of mistakes, you know what I'm saying? I spent, you know, I gave my family $60,000 my rookie year, and they still needed more money. $60,000 untaxed between helping out my sister and my And I'm sitting there going, how is it that you get $60,000 untaxed and you need more money? So when you say family, you mean like your parents, your siblings? Parents, siblings. Uh, my family stole $10,000 from me. Ugh. I got a credit card for them my rookie year to make sure that they could book their own flights. And I got a notice that said, 
hey, you're at your mi- limit. I'm like, what the hell? Like $10,000 has been six games. I haven't even been healthy this season. What the hell's going on? And, you know, and it's a tough part in our, in our relationship, my parents and I. And my dad said, hey, we've earned this money. And I, and I said to him, I said, you're lucky I'm not there right now. You're lucky I'm not there right now. And I didn't talk to my parents for six months. It broke my mother's heart. Mm. But the way people react when you have money, the way people feel entitled to your money, it's unbelievable, especially in the NFL. So I had to learn through trials and tribulations. You know, I almost bought a $750,000 house as a single male mm-hmm. because I thought the bank had my best interests at heart. And fortunately, my conciliary, my lawyer said, I, you know, you seem pretty happy in this two-bedroom apartment. And no joke, I said to him, you think there's a less, of, less expensive house I can buy? He's like, yeah, why don't you look in the 300s? Oh, there's $300,000 houses? So just mm-hmm. making mistakes, asking questions, and then seeing the mistakes of my teammates and really other people. You know, people always want to know, why do athletes go broke? And I was like, is it athletes? Because sure a lot of us have the highest credit card debt we've ever had in our nation's history. But I think that athletes, you, we hear about these signing bonuses and these salaries that most people don't yeah. ever achieve. And so you go... How are you broke? Yeah. How could you be broke? How could you be $30,000 in debt after $1.2 million? Yeah. You know, and so I agree. I understand because I work with some people that are wealthy as well. I see it. It doesn't matter how much you make. No. It just doesn't matter. It matters how much you save. It matters. And, and it's hard to practice that. I mean, I think a lot of people have no sense of financial literacy. None. And, and people at the same time, we're starving for it. We're starving. You know, I talked mm-hmm. to, I got started in stocks because my father said, hey, why don't you take 500 bucks and, and invest in the market? So I, I read this, there's this guy, Warren Buffet, I thought it was, but it <laughs> turns out to be Buffett, right? Uh, he said, oh, you know, buy what you know. And so I literally bought Apple, Google, Microsoft, and then I got home from Chipotle and I was watching MSNBC because now I'm an investor. Chipotle's at a three-year low. The burrito craze is over. I just waited 20 minutes in line for this burrito. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to buy Chipotle stock. That $45 stock becomes $350 stock. Wow. You know, that Apple stock, original 109, went to, I think it was like 700 and split six to one. Wow. So now I have those experiences and I'm like, man, forget chains, forget a strip club. Like, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. I'm coming for I'm coming for the buckets. You yep. know, I'm coming for the money. I'm coming. For, I want to be rich when I'm 50. And that's a big difference that made a difference in my life. Mm-hmm. And you seem comfortable and confident to say those things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Not everybody is. We've all made mistakes with money, and most of us don't have the money we want. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I've made sound decisions where I can do what I want. You know, um, I've got some real estate. I tell, you know, people ask me all the time, it depends on their age, but young people. I told my kids already, hey, you need to buy a duplex. Don't think about buying a house. Starter house. Forget that. Get a duplex. Really find out what it is you want. Really find. Don't waste your money on a home. Get some income from that thing, mm-hmm. you know. And just being able to know I, people lie about money all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to lie to me about money, that's one thing. But I'm not going to lie to you about mine. And I'm not going to hang out with you if you're a liar about money. I'm not going to hang out with you if you're showing off your money. Because my money don't care about you, and I don't care about your money. Right. So it's just a, it's a place where I've been fortunate. I'm very fortunate, Cheryl, to get to this point. And I've also worked extremely hard. You know, I love that new Rolls Royce SUV. Are you kidding me? I mean, I've <laughs> seen it twice and I dream about it still. Mm-hmm. But I don't need that. I don't right. want that. You know, at the end of the day, I don't want the insurance payment that goes for it, the taxes that goes for it. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, where am I parking that thing? I got three kids. Do you think they care? It's a Rolls Royce? Hell no. Right. So I just I love talking about money and, and giving people another way to to experience these conversations that we're really not having. Right. So it seems like you're sort of naturally a leader, right? You talk about leadership in your book. And I'm wondering if you think about, if you think of leadership and inspiration different, are they Mm -hmm. one and the same or do you feel like they're different? One of the things you write about, I looked on your website and um, it talked about how you you feel like companies or corporations are not engaging enough. Oh, yeah. Right. And so what do you mean by that? And what are some simple tips for anyone in the workforce that to be able to like better engage with their colleagues, their customers? And who are some of your favorite leaders? Yeah. Well, you know, motivation and inspiration are absolutely two different things to me. You know, whether you're inspired or not, that's a you issue. Mm-hmm. If you're not inspired to be here on, on the teams that I was on, I mean, listen, there's 1,600 players in the NFL every year. Only 53 become champions. 
the inspiration of the other 1,500 doesn't really matter, does it? Mm-hmm. You know, either they're inspired, either you're inspired or you're not. But you become a leader when you choose your mindset and when you take control of your money and when you, and when you refuse to be stopped by failure. Because when, when a failure happens, look at the next time there's a failure. You'll literally see people looking around. Who's going to say something? Mm-hmm. Who's going to lead us out of here? Who knows what to do? And whether or not you just say, okay, we had this failure. I, I, I am somebody who's experienced failure right now. I can, I can talk to my team. I can point out the pieces where we went wrong. And here's what we will do next time. All of a sudden, literally, people are looking to you because in a failure, you're moving, right? And you know why you're doing something. You know why you're practicing. So you naturally become a leader if you could choose your mindset, if you're not affected by failure, if you're not affected by that phone call that's irrelevant to your success that day. So motivation and inspiration are two very different things. I'm not responsible for your inspiration. That's on you. But let me tell you something. You better be motivated to be excellent if you're going to play on a football team with me. Peyton Manning, if you had no motivation to be great, if you, you didn't, if you didn't want to lead the NFL in offense, in touchdowns, in winning, get off the team. So leadership happens naturally by setting those expectations and creating action. Inspiration, that's a, that's a different deal. Is Peyton Manning a good leader? Great leader. Great leader. Who are some other great leaders you've on, off the field? Yeah. Mike Tomlin is, Gary Kubiak is, and, and the great thing, great leaders that I've experienced, they have fun. They have fun. We had Saturday slappies, these videos of whether it was a coach dancing at his wedding or, you know, this, these tatted dudes who I didn't, wouldn't even introduce to my mama. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> these guys are some real bros, as I say. And they're screaming on, an, uh, on a roller coaster because they're afraid of heights. Or they're screaming because they mm-hmm. saw a snake. And it's like, dude, you're the toughest summer gun in here. Mm-hmm. And you're screaming like that? Come on, man. And you mm-hmm. laugh. And mm-hmm. you create these bonds. And great leaders engage. And, and as a leader on, on, on the offensive line when we won the Super Bowl, one way I, I, I led is we had a guy who was making big-time mistakes. And we weren't going to go to the playoffs, let alone win the Super Bowl, if he wasn't doing it. And people were screaming at him on the field. Coaches were yelling at him rarely when you're embarrassed, Cheryl, do you do your best right away? No. I, yeah, of course not, right? So I walk up to this guy and I say, listen, man, when I was your age, I used to make two to three mistakes a game. Then I started feverishly taking notes, everything that was being said. And I made two to three mistakes a year. And I walked away. And the next day, he had an entire notebook and four pens on his desk. And we won the Super Bowl. Wow. You've got to engage. And some, there's some easy ways. You know, you give a high five, you give a high five, you, there's always a smile. Yeah, you always. always make someone smile if you give a, hey, high five, hey, woo, it's Monday, woo, it's Wednesday, woo, it's Friday, woo. Give a high five. Mm-hmm. Watch how many high fives there are in a football field, you know, mm-hmm. in, in any kind of athletic endeavor. Like there's literally, and then I go to a business and, and I'll do speaking, there's literally no physical engagement, right? And I'm not saying you got to hug people and walk around holding hands, but give out a high five. You know, one of the things I do on my show for, for sports radio, I bring I bring breakfast sometimes. Have you ever been mad at somebody who brought you bagels in the morning? No. You no. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Saturday mornings, every Saturday in the NFL, on every team, rookies' sole, only job is to bring donuts. Bring some donuts into work, see what happens that morning. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got this, and I'm fortunate, I'm on a team on my broadcast, but we've got this life that's very different for athletes where we don't engage with each other, where we don't ask each other what's really going on, where we don't hang out outside of work. You know, that's my, one of my number one things. You know, I get that question all the time in my speeches. How can I engage better with my team? Get outside of the office with your team. If you've you got a teammate that does Peloton, go do a Peloton with them. They do yoga, go do a yoga. Boxing, go, do, go axe throwing together. Do something outside of your work. NFL players hang out constantly with each other. We had offensive uh, dinners every week. Get out of the office. What do you wear? I don't even know what my teammates wear because we're always in shorts and shirts that say Broncos on them. Mm-hmm. Well, no, oh, man, you know, you know, Jared's got kicks or, hey, man, CJ's looking, you know, looking dapper. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, man, you get to know people outside of work. Mm-hmm. So you've got to create engagement to be a great leader. 100%. So that's what you mean, engage in multiple ways. In the office, bring things in, high five, smile at people. Smile. Smile. Laugh with people. Mm-hmm. Laugh with your team. How does your team laugh? If you can't answer that, you're not having enough fun. And listen, you, you, we love as adults working after fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, you come say people got say you got a case of the Mondays, but how many Mondays do we are we like? Whoa, I had a great weekend. Let's go. Mm-hmm. It's because you get some, you have some fun. 
If you don't create fun in the workplace, you lose. You lose in the NFL. You lose in life. I love that. You talk about celebrating every win. Yeah. Tell me why that's important. And what have been some of your greatest wins and what are you celebrating lately? That's a great question. You know, I'm huge on celebrating every win because we don't do that enough. There are wins all around us, but we fail to experience them, especially for for me, someone who, you know, had had a big goal of winning a championship, who wanted to start, who wanted to make X amount of money, who wanted to be able to preserve. It's so easy to stay on this long path, but you got to celebrate every win. I mean, we we, we had bus three on the the year we won the Super Bowl. The only rule... Ain't no rookies on bus three. They ask too many questions. But celebrate every win. Even after we lost, we celebrated being healthy. We celebrated the lessons we learned. We celebrated that even in losing a game, we believed we would win the championship. I mean, celebrate that. And you think about, and also it builds in this resolve. I mean, Cheryl, you have failed, you know, but what did you do to get here today? What did you do to start this podcast? You know, you don't think about every time you turn on this podcast, it's because Cheryl did something connected with somebody worked hard to get just to press the on button. Celebrate that Mm -hmm. versus being, you know, I don't know where my podcast is on the top 100. I don't know who's listening. Hey, I got I I pressed on on my podcast. We're rolling today, (laughs) you know. Yeah. And you celebrate every win. You remind yourself you're capable. You give yourself a smile and you're able to move with confidence towards your goal. So what are you celebrating lately? I've been celebrating that surf trip. That was so big for me mm-hmm. to get away, to reconnect with myself, to find that space. And I dropped in on my first wave, meaning before the wave kind of curls back down, I, I was on the board and you just slapped the top of the ocean and it was clear water and I was looking down and I just lost my Apple Watch too. Didn't care. <laughs> Didn't care. You know, I, I love that I created that space for myself. Um, I love that I'm employed every day. I really do. I celebrate having a job. I know what it's like to not have a job, as we talked about. Mm-hmm. And even in the NFL, I would I would smile and say, yes, every time. Because in the NFL, when you go to a game and you're starting, they put the, your pads together. They put your jersey on your pads. Yes, I got a helmet and a jersey in an NFL locker room. It doesn't matter what game you're playing. You know, I'm in a better place now because I appreciated that. So I'm celebrating that I got away. I'm celebrating that I wrapped up my broadcasting season. And I'm celebrating, I celebrate the impact I'm able to have in speaking. And I'm really, and I also celebrate my time with my kids. My, when I walk in my door is the best time of my day every day. My kids, even my son who's not even walking yet, he pounds his hands on the hardwood floors oh. in a fast way to come and get me. And it's just, I celebrate being home with my family because they're important to me. And my kids are important to me. My wife is important to me. And I love them deeply. Oh, I love that. Okay. In your signature, in your email and in your book, you write, let's change the world. Yeah. So what's that about for you and how do you think you've changed the world and where do you want to keep changing the world? Yeah. My grandparents marched in the civil rights, you know, movement, saw Dr. King in the church before, you know, that wasn't in the I have a dream speech. You know, Muhammad Ali is one of the greatest champions to me because of the inspiration he left in the world. We have a responsibility to create the world we want, to change from what we don't like into what we do like. And we have a, we have a responsibility to do it together. And so I signed that on my email. So like, hey, let's change the world. And I know from coaches, from players, from con- one conversation can change the world. I now have three kids. There are three new human beings in this world because I had a conversation with my wife when we first met. I said, hey. I'd love to take you out to dinner sometime. Can I get your phone number? She says, sure. Right? I mean, cha- that changed the world. So we, we, it's so easy to feel like what we do doesn't matter. How we interact with someone doesn't matter. I'm here to tell you it does. You make all the difference in the world. If you're going to email with me, I'm going to remind you, hey, let's, cha- let's change the world. You and I both have a responsibility, but also we both have that ability to create impact. Let's remember that when we're going to achieve our goals. Let's remember that when we're high-fiving someone. Let's remember that when we see somebody struggling and we can really engage and see if we can be of service. So in that way, that's why I always sign off, let's change the world. I have to tell you, it had a profound impact on me. I didn't know if that's what you, at that point, the first time I saw it, I didn't know if that's what you always did. But in the moment, it felt special to me. And I had this like, oh my God, I've never seen anybody write that. Yeah. How cool, yes. Let's change the world yeah. because I do understand that 
every little bit that we do has a cause and effect. I understand that. Yeah. But I really, I wanted people, I wanted to, like people who are listening to know that you do that. Yeah. And that every one of us, by smiling at somebody, by buying the Starbucks for the person behind us, yeah. by those little things really do matter. Teaching our kids about failure. You know, mm-hmm. what does that do? Uh, we just watched the Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes threw two interceptions. And you know what his coach said to him after he came to the sidelines? He said, keep firing. You don't think that changed the world? Mm-hmm. Keep firing. You don't think Kansas City is a different city if Coach Andy Reid says anything different in that moment? Right. I mean, our interactions matter with our kids, with our coworkers, with ourselves. And we have that power every day. Every day. I think that's so true. I could talk to you for the rest of the day. <laughs> I have loved having you on. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. And I um, I really want to suggest to people to get Mindset for Mastery. Thank you. To me, it's like uh, a family book and this guide to not just doing well personally, but doing well in the workforce and doing well within your family. Yes. So um, thank you for writing it. Thank you. Thank you for changing the world positively. And I look forward to seeing all, not only looking forward to seeing them, but celebrating all your successes. Well, thank you. And thank you for your book. You changed our world by uh, giving us space to say, I'm burnt out and look for things that we can do in those moments. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you.